love me as I am and not love me as you want to be loved because I should love you how you want to be loved. You should love me how I want to be loved. And that's probably going to be pretty different. And it doesn't matter what I learned about how love should have been based on what I saw with my parents or any other role models or things that I see in movies and in society. I think we have so many um, like stereotypes and untruths being uh, fed back to us over and over again in the media um, about love relationships. You know, it's love at first sight. The only real love that matters is the kind of love that gives you butterflies. There's this like really sick romanticization of um like what it means to to love a person welcome everyone to another episode by the matriarchy podcast we have shani today shani is a dear friend we met at the university at the hebrew university and uh, we both studied linguistics which is not why we're friends <laughs> Um, as we stated before, um, but uh, Shani is a great linguist and uh, she's also a mother to a five-year-old, right? Five? She's five, just turned five. Just turned five, happy birthday. And um, Shani is also a part of the LGBT community here in Israel. She takes an active role in uh, community events, organizing community events, participating in them. And uh, as you said, you believe in empowering the community from within. And, um, and by entertaining, educating, and um, bringing people together, basically. Definitely. Right? And there's also one uh, thing uh, that, that, that you told me, uh, which is called the Kulpan, right? Right, right. You, so Kulpan, it's yeah. not my idea. I didn't, start, uh, I didn't start the project. So the project has been running for quite a few years now. I'd, well, it feels like a long time. I'd say it's at least uh, four and a half years. We have um, two branches in, uh, in the center. You have... Um, in Tel Aviv, and you have also in, in Jerusalem, and they've been going on for a lot longer. Um, the project of the Kulpan in my area, in Haifa, has only been going on for a little more than a year. Uh, and so for the first year, I was the only teacher there. Um, and it's not an Ulpan, like a regular Ulpan, where people come together and learn Hebrew. It's uh, a queer Ulpan, which is uh, both a safe space and a Hebrew learning environment, but it also serves um, additional functions of helping new immigrants uh, network and learn how to differentiate some of those nuances in the language, like uh, different registers, if uh, words are more formal or less formal, if uh, certain adjectives are more gendered, how do I, for example, like it comes to answer the question, how do I for uh, reference my non-binary partner or um, how do I talk about myself if I'm trans because in English for example if you're trans usually you stick to they them pronouns which are like plural but not gendered uh, and in Hebrew um, in order to not speak with a specific gender so this could either be useful to know for someone who's uh, non-binary genderqueer um, or trans um, and someone who feels more comfortable not being gendered in their speech, you would use um, alternating feminine, masculine, sing but you would stay singular. So you'd have like, a, um, he did this, da, 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 um, and she, whatever. And you would use, um, oftentimes, the, the verb would be alternating and the pronoun would be alternating, which can sometimes be a bit confusing. It's sort of, takes time to get used to. Um, and sometimes people even use um, a masculine pronoun with a feminine verb so that you get both genders in the same statement, which is a very interesting way to use the language. Yeah. Since it has two genders that are required when you use a verb. So you would, just to, uh, for anyone who doesn't understand the word ulpan, it's, uh, it's a school to learn Hebrew. Okay, so uh, Kulpan is, 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 is a class for, that, 
that provides a safe place for for uh, people from from uh, the queer definition. Um, to, it's to for the whole LGBT community uh, or LGBTQIA community. Yeah, the whole um, alphabet. All all the alphabet too. Um, but what's nice about Cool Fun is that it it isn't just a, a safe space as far as um, being able to be who you are and learn Hebrew. It's it's usually in addition to learning Hebrew at a more structured course or school with a curriculum and with grades and tests and certificates. It's um, not instead of a regular open, but it comes to fill the gap that is usually felt because uh, far too many people who are LGBT end up dropping out of Wopan. Sometimes they don't manage to uh, improve their Hebrew enough to stay in the country. And um, far too often they can't find work because their Hebrew isn't very good. Or um, you sometimes see that the teachers of the traditional Wopan Hebrew courses are actually um, either religious or just very um, old fashioned. And then sometimes people are, are kicked out or pushed out, you know, uh, there's a lot of discrimination and uh, it's very hard to integrate culturally if you don't have the language, you can't really find yourself. You need to be able to protect yourself and feed yourself and uh, it's very, very important. So part of it comes to, to fulfill that need and give you a place to, express yourself in a more comfortable way for you but also you can ask questions like uh how do you say you know this or that body part or how do i talk about you know this or that sexual act with my partner you can't do that in a regular old pond people are really formal and uptight you don't know who is going to be in your hebrew class so it just sort of like it allows for a, a sense of intimacy and openness and a safe space uh, to learn Hebrew for lots of different kinds of people uh, who come to Israel from the LGBT community around the world. It sounds like a very cool venture. And I have a question. Do you think that, I understand that, that it, the, if, if the teacher is religious and then there's discrimination and, and so, so that would, that would uh, justify the dropping out. But would you also th say that, that this, the idea of, of, of um, the pronouns um, is, is, plays a part of, of the dropping out? Like uh, from a regular- Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. I'd say that it's, it's really, um, it's a case by case thing. It can, someone can, can drop out or be kicked out for a variety of reasons. But if they're not feeling that they're in a comfortable, safe environment, um, which means you know, open enough and liberal enough to teach them as they are, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in the class is LGBT, obviously. Not everyone is going to be exactly like me, but um, far too often the Wopan is structured in a way that is uh, very not liberal, not modern, um, and sometimes not very effective in teaching Hebrew, additionally. Um, I'm so like Kupan in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, they actually have two levels, conversational and intro, like basic level and being able to talk and, and improve your ability to talk. Um, but in Haifa until now, we've just been, you know, everybody all together, which means you have people of any level um, of Hebrew coming together. You have native speakers or, you know, near native speakers. You have people that have been here for three years and people who've been here for three days. Uh, tourists, you know, you kind of get a big jumble and it's no commitment and no cost, but only for people within the LGBT community. And we do it usually at, uh, at the center, at the community's house. So. All right. There's a community house in, in Haifa? Yeah, there's a, and the community's house for um, pride and tolerance is the, the full name. In Jerusalem, you have the open house. So here in the last three years, we have the community's house. Do straight people come there too? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, um, you know, allies will come and uh, sometimes people will bring a friend or a partner, especially if it's the first time and they're not feeling comfortable. Um, nobody is asked to leave unless they're doing something illegal or harmful to, to others, which is obvious. Um, they try to maintain a respectful and 
and kind of usually fun environment. I really like that place. I ended up volunteering there a lot. They do like Shabbat dinners once a month and stuff. So, but lots of other things too. But that would take a long time to tell you about. So not necessarily. Yeah. Nice. I was asking about the pronouns because from my experience in at Bard College in uh, in the States, we would really um, open each class by asking everyone like their name and their preferred pronoun. Like mm -hmm. that well, it was the routine, like that were you I was an instructor, so that that was your responsibility to ask what is your preferred pronoun and everybody had the the obligation to to address you in that way. So I love the idea of that, but I also sometimes wonder if going around in a circle and um, doing this sort of like self-identification process, who are you and tell us in a nutshell and, you know, put a label on yourself so we feel more comfortable. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't occasionally um, problematic as well, because we want someone to self-identify and identify, identifying like even within ourselves, it's a journey. We have to figure out who we are and how do we fit in in whatever context we're in. So it could be that on a person's journey, they start out saying, you know, um, I'm queer and I want to be part of the community, but I don't know how to label myself. And then afterwards it could be, you know, um, I think I'm gay and, and well, actually I'm, I'm pansexual. I don't, I'm not just attracted to my own gender. I'm also attracted to all different expressions of gender. And then eventually get to the point where the person realizes that they're, you know, transgender queer or something else. So I, I also hesitate to think that the only right way to get introduced to a person is to identify them with a very sim simple label or ask them to identify themselves with a very simple label. I, I think that um, on the journey of life, we end up sometimes renegotiating our identity or um, understanding our identity differently when we have better words for it, especially if we weren't brought up in a more like open and liberal culture. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we talked about the app, right? Oh, we did. Yeah, we did. And if, if you could, because uh, these, these uh, labels were, 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 really, uh, were really evident there, right? So if you, mm -hmm. you could share that story, I think sure. it's interesting. I, um, I signed up recently for, I can't remember exactly, maybe two months ago, uh, is just a dating app and uh, a way for women to get to know women. And I've identified as a woman who um, loves women since I was in high school. So um, this seemed like a great place to get to know someone, a potential romantic partner. And... Then the whole app, in it's a website and an app. Um, it's based on um, like multiple choice type uh, algorithm. And so you have to identify and answer certain things in order to even have a profile. Um, and one of the things that they asked um, me to identify is what kind of a woman am I? And what kind of a, a woman am I? Am I a, uh, I think there were four options. There was, um, butch, there was tomboy, there was um, trans, or maybe it was genderqueer, and the fourth one was um, a lipstick lesbian, or, oh, feminine, feminine. Okay, so femme, butch, tomboy, and um, trans, those were the, the four options, and I felt like the question in and of itself isn't great because it's a question that sort of puts a label onto women as though there are only uh, three or four categories of types of women, that all women fit into these categories. All women who love women must be either a butch, femme, tomboy, or trans. And also trans people can be whatever type of woman they want to be. You know, they could be more femme. They could be like a lipstick lesbian. They could be more butch they could be lots of different things and um 
So it just seemed like the fourth one shouldn't have even been in the same category. And I didn't feel like I could self-identify easily into any of those categories. I definitely have some element of femininity in my gender expression. I'm cisgender. Um, so I was born. I was born a woman, and I um, feel like that was an accurate uh, gender expression for me. So I'm not uh, non-binary or um, trans or anything on that uh, spectrum, but I have a connection with my femininity and and still a strong desire to dress and act in a way that's more comfortable and practical than what would normally be considered, I guess, femme. Um, since femme women are sort of the lipstick lesbians, it's like high heels and skirts and dresses, obviously not exclusively, but um, a very, very, very um, what is the word? Girly? Like, but ostentatious, like prissy, you know, like, like being interested in, in sort of like glitter and lipstick and nails polished, nail polish and stuff like that. Things that my daughter finds incredibly fascinating. And for the longest time, I struggled to allow her to check those things out because for the longest time I was like, wow, I want my daughter to be, you know, a strong woman and a feminist and smart. And then I was like, wow, but being a strong woman and a feminist means she has the choice to also be girly if she wants to be girly. But it took me a while to get there because she's only five. So I was like, why do you need makeup and, you know, lipstick and nail polish and high heels? And she wants to wear tights and dresses every day. And at school, they were like, this is really impractical. You know, she has trouble doing yoga and capoeira and running around with the kids. She should, you know, dress in like pants or shorts and, you know, running shoes and whatever. So, or sandals. Yeah. Anyway, to be honest, I kind I, of uh, I took a tangent there a little bit uh, as a tomboy, um, and and uh, my parents didn't allow uh, nail polish and makeup and um, and heels up until like thirteen. Okay, uh, makeup was even like longer. Um, because uh, it was uh, it was like you're a, you're a child. You're not supposed to wear those things. Like yeah. no, no. When you grow up, this is when you do that. But like right now, you're a child. Okay, <laughs> which is was was very. It was very interesting because they also had like my mom would always give me like from age two. Okay. She would always give me two options of wearing something like girly, like with a dress or a skirt and something with, with pants. And every morning started with me choosing what I want to wear. And up until today, I am this person who's, who's like, mm, am I wearing pants today or am I wearing a skirt today? Like, <laughs> she really instilled that choice in me. You know, but also like emphasizing, like, no, you're not doing that. You're a child. This is not for, for, for little girls. I mean, having known you now for many years, I'd say that you definitely have some, uh, sometimes you have a very feminine look with makeup and, and heels and sometimes, uh, tight clothes, but you also have sometimes more of like, a feminine tomboy type look and then other times you kind of go I don't know in a different direction I think more like uh like hipster and unique and um and then there's like a certain type of Israeli woman that like you also sometimes emulate so I was gonna say that your like femininity isn't exactly just one of those categories you know either um and I definitely love the idea of wearing skirts and dresses but find it difficult that they don't have pockets and that sometimes they're less comfortable or like sometimes they're not uh weather appropriate you know if I'm going to be wearing rain boots I'm not going to be walking around in a in a dress even a short dress because it just won't feel comfortable for me cool though but sometimes I wear rain boots and pants and a skirt you know and sometimes that looks fine too so it, it's just I think that um it's okay to like play with gender and not feel like you have to 
really pick one very specific narrow uh, definition of what type of a woman do you want to be and I'm trying to accept this girly obsession my daughter has a friend of mine recently came over she's also a mom um, but she she's a mom and she's also a part of the, the queer community and she was she was telling me how, you know, sometimes she looks at these outfits that my daughter wears and she says like, oh my God, this isn't like feminine femme. It's like drag queen femme, you know, like your daughter almost looks like she's, you know, a grown man in a sparkly dress type of uh, outfit and like over, you know, very uh, theatrical and heavy makeup, makeup and stuff. No, if you see some of the outfits, um, like the, the number of sequins on the jacket or like uh, the combination of things. Sometimes she'll do something that's a little more subtle or elegant, but like often I see her just, you know, going way over the top with makeup and way over the top with colors. And it's like this explosion of self-expression. And it's very cool that she has that kind of like, yeah. But it's also kind of, you know, um, definitely outside of the norm, I guess. So my friend said, yeah, but at least if her sense of style is more like drag queen, maybe you would feel more comfortable, like, accepting it than if what she wants is to be like a Barbie doll, you know? So I don't know. I thought that was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> things that allow us to accept, you know, whatever the, the situation is. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the definition or um, the situation of, of, of queer in Israel, because we said it's a little, um, it's, it's not the same as in the U.S., for example. I think that um, in Israel, there isn't entirely a consensus. Um, from what I can tell, there's like the younger generation of LGBT people that um, come into it and they see queer in a similar way to the way that I hear it used in America in English, or I should say on the internet in English, um, queer being something that encompasses everything that is LGBT, QIA, and that um, the, the uh, queer... QIA, LGBT, right? Lesbian, uh, gay, bisexual, trans, right. right? And then QIA is queer, intersex, asexual. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, so queer um, is something that became popular, as I understand it, around the 90s. And it became something that a lot of people in Israel seem to equate with this idea of a spectrum of gender expression and a spectrum of sexuality. So like with the Kinsey scale, you're not entirely um, gay and not entirely straight and that nobody is entirely one thing or the other. If these two things are polar opposites, everyone falls somewhere in the spectrum. And the question is, how well can you define yourself as being closer to this pole or that pole, you know, if you're trying to define yourself. That's the idea of the theory, okay? Um, and with gender, you're not, let's say in theory, this is not the Kinsey scale, but it's the same idea of having like a spectrum of, you know, you're not 100% female or 100% male. We're all some kind of um, amalgamation of, of gender expression that includes a little bit of both. Um, and so then what we, what we choose when we talk about like gender performance, who we are, we um, choose which elements of ourselves are most prominent to be at that particular uh, moment in that particular day, but it could be in this period of time or how, how do I connect with my sense of self right now? Do I feel more feminine right now or do I feel more, um, you know, not gendered or more masculine or whatever combination and ratio I feel most comfortable with. So I think that people in um, Israel have a sense from the feedback that I've gotten 
have a sense that that queer sort of um, assumes that people are not entirely gay or not entirely a lesbian or not entirely heterosexual. Um, and then some people sort of have this um, reaction of like, oh, no, 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 that's not true. I, I am always and only and exclusively interested in women. So therefore, you know, I'm not queer, I'm a lesbian, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there have also been lectures about um, queer being a term that's sometimes adopted by people who are not LGBT or um, it's a way about saying queer in its essence, the word means odd or different, not normal. So um, queer as in not entirely normal could touch on a range of things and it doesn't have to be about gender or sexuality. Um, I think I told you there are sometimes people who are heterosexual and polyamorous and they feel comfortable calling themselves queer because they leave a, they lead a non-traditional lifestyle. Um, but they don't have, um, any other connection to the LGBT community as far as their sexuality or their, um, or their gender expression. To be honest, like if, if, if we're talking about me personally, um, I, uh, that would be a better definition that I don't feel, because I always felt like, um, let, let's say 20 years with the same person, it's a lot, okay? In terms of sexuality, um, in terms of friendships, like I would have my friendships, my, my guy friends and my girlfriends and, 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 and they can come from, from, from any sexual background, right? Sexual identity that I don't care about that. But, uh, but in terms of like having a partner, 20 years is a lot. And also like um, we can see that because most of the time people that get married and live together for a long time, they complain a lot about not having sex. They complain mm. about it a lot. Okay, so it always seemed to me like like um, like okay. So we have this problem of 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 a loss of attraction, which also I think uh, I saw some studies that say that it's mostly from the women's side, the loss of attraction, the men's loss of attraction is is gradual and the Mm -hmm. women's uh it's like after a year or so it drops like you need someone new you need the novelty okay but uh, i'm not sure it's really a question of novelty i'd say a lot of people enter into romantic relationships without enough awareness of what they want for themselves what would make them happy how to love themselves and then how to love another person how to grow together how to be accepting of the other person going through changes during the relationship. So I feel like there are a lot of people that are stuck in an unhappy relationship or marriage or let's say partnership situation uh, where usually they're living together. And it just seems like the grass is greener for other people. But I would say that in, in I'm totally making an assumption here, but I think that people just don't want to do the work to get to know themselves better, to find a way to get along and to make each other truly happy. I mean, love me as I am and not love me as you want to be loved because I should love you how you want to be loved. You should love me how I want to be loved. And that's probably going to be pretty different. And it doesn't matter what I learned about how love should have been based on what I saw with my parents or any other role models or things that I see in movies and in society. I think we have so many, um, like stereotypes and untruths being uh, fed back to us over and over again in the media um, about love relationships. You know, it's love at first sight. The only real love that matters is the kind of love that gives you butterflies. There's this like really sick, I mean, in my mind, sick romanticization of um, like what it means to, to love a person. And of course there's love and there's falling in love and being in love and there's non-sexual love but there's also like this whole concept of love as an action 
You know, we love a person, we accept them. We love a person, we help them grow. We love a person, we also give them the space to explore other elements of themselves. And we also like take care of ourselves and allow that independence, which would give you the freedom to continually reconnect in an exciting new way over 20 years, over 50 years. But if you assume that the other person is going to stay exactly the same, or if you, if you assume you could control the way that they change, or if you assume that you can only be loved the way they know how to love based on how their parents behaved, I feel like you're getting such a, an unhappy version of love, an unsatisfying version of love. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. They, they can't see um, that love is as unique as each individual person over time. And it's supposed to change in its dynamic and in its you know, intensity. Um, and in order to connect and be excited about whatever touch, sex, whatever, you need to also have a certain amount of distance and a certain amount of independence because it's that distance and that apart that makes us want to get together again. So it's a lot about like appreciating your partner and it's a lot about um, showing, showing your true self when you're really vulnerable and you're really open. I think that's the best place where you can actually connect to another person. And, um, and so you need vulnerability on both sides, which is really, really scary. And most people seem to not be able to be 100% honest with their partner. And they don't find their groove, like as far as communication, as far as growing together. And I think that's why people give up. And they're like, oh, well, it'll be easier with someone else because this is a pain. I don't want to have to you know, feel scared in the relationship because I'm, I'm suddenly talking about um, you know, my fears or my trauma or could be about my sexual desires and my kinks, right? I mean, it could be lots of things. But if you're not who you really are in the relationship, then there's something in the relationship that isn't genuine. And I don't think that has any real possibility to last. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was quite... That was it's quite long it's true it's true the the when we see that we see that in divorce you know i i because a lot of people are unhappy and then they just settle it's easier to be yes. with something that you know yes. than it is to open yourself up to be hurt by someone you don't know and so people get stuck in very, very unhappy relationships. But when we say like, oh, relationships can't last in the long run um, because many people get divorced or because many people are unhappy. I think, unfortunately, many people are unhappy within themselves. And then I think they bring that into the relationship. And instead of working on themselves and really growing over time, they say, oh, well, it's my partner or it's my limitations. It's because my job won't let me be who I need to be. You know, it's too hard to be open. So then I'll just, it'll be easier to just leave and start over somewhere else because it's new and it's exciting. Um, yeah. I actually have trouble with that. You get the same problems. <laughs> no, I mean, you bring yourself to the new situation. So the dynamic will be new. But yeah, that's um, a lot of the things that were bothering you, you're going to recreate them in the, in the new place too, because you're still bringing you into the relationship. Exactly. So half of it's the same, you know, for the most part. Um, it's, it's not only what I think is, is most, most important is not only getting to know yourself, which I think is a very important part, um, being honest. And I think, uh, the, I think the easiest way to do that, because I'm really doing that right now, um, the easiest way to do that is just to make a list of things that like, you know, make you happy and things that piss you off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then, you know, like, what are your triggers? Okay. And like things that piss you off and what things make you smile. So now, you know, how to make yourself happy and how to avoid like, or how to know, like, for example, I hate when things are slow, like 
it's that if the computer is slow, I'm like, I'm instantly, I'm going for a smoke. Like, I, I can't do this, okay? Anything. So if a relationship is slow, it's, it pisses me off. Everything, you know, I need like, tick, 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 let's go. <laughs> okay, so. You like, you like stimulation, excitement, and change. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, it's great. There's the, the, the positive side of it, and then there's the negative side of it. But you need to know that, first of all, acknowledge the fact that you are pissed off by that. Now we can work through that. Because a lot of people won't, won't, won't say, like, I'm pissed off, you know? They would just, like, be like, no, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. You need to acknowledge, wait, I'm angry right now. Why am I angry right now? I'm angry right now because of X, Y, Z. Maybe you're angry because someone did something. Good, okay, fine. But Definitely. Being able to talk about the hard stuff, and being able to communicate even when you're like frustrated or tired, I think that's like super, super, super important in having like a good relationship um, and having even a good relationship with yourself. You wanna be able to fix things and heal and have a good life. You need to be able to uh, trust yourself to not lie about stuff. I mean, um, this really comes down to the core of who I am. I think that the, the good stuff, the best stuff is the stuff that we invest the most in the most time and the most difficulty. That doesn't mean that uh, good romantic relationships are the ones that are the most shitty or they start out bad, but like we get the most out of something when we make it nice. It's kind of like you start out with an empty apartment and then you, you paint over that wall and you choose how to decorate it and you personalize it and you spend time there and you cook there and sometimes there's stains on the wall from where you cook, but all that like investment is actually making you feel like it's a place to be yourself. And then you come home and you're like, wow, this place is mine. And then you stay there and it's nice to be in a place that's familiar and that you've made it yours, your expression of, of what you want and who you are. And I think in some ways, romantic relationships to an extent can be compared to that apartment. You know, we, we start out with sort of this empty white walls, you know, ceilings, whatever. And then we decide how to, build it. What kind of couch do we need? And, and how do we talk to each other in the morning? Maybe you wake up super fucking grumpy and I'm like an early bird and I'm like, yeah, let's go do something. And you're like, nah, leave me alone. I need to sleep. Right. And then, so then over time we could develop a way to make that interaction not painful and not, you know, a conflict, but just, I'm the one who cooks the breakfast and makes the, you know, makes the coffee and you're the one that sleeps in a little bit more, but then you know, you're considerate to me in a different way, or you show me love in a different way. And like, we just find ways to compliment each other. And by the time I'm done with the cooking and the, the coffee, you're awake and ready to eat and have coffee. And you're no longer grumpy and, and telling me, shut up and go away. You know, I mean, it's like being able to personalize your house, your relationship, your understanding of yourself. I feel like that's really, really important. You know? It's interesting the 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 metaphor of the apartment to me personally because I have something that it's like I like to be new places. Mm -hmm. So it's do I. Like I like I like to wander around, <laughs> and I like to. Like, I always love the feeling of, uh, like, renting a new apartment, right? So I always love the feeling of being, um, when, you, when you come to a new place that you don't know, right? So, uh, so you feel a little small. You feel like a little door of the explorer, you know? You're like, uh, the, the cupboards are bigger than you and the room is bigger than you. And slowly you expand in that space. And it, it becomes smaller than you, <laughs> okay? And, 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 and you feel like the apartment is not that big anymore, as not, not in terms of like, uh, I need a bigger place, but just like the, 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 the sensation of like, of the exploration goes away because you know, like how to open that door and where is the light and everything. But I really love those moments of like, 
of, of exploration of a new place, of a new territory. But I wonder if that's not like two different things. One of them is once the place is your place, it has your furniture and your books and your, um, your clothes, your curtains, and then, then a sense of yourself has sort of like expanded to fill the place. Right. So there's like the, the metaphor is not just a metaphor. It's also physical. The place is less empty. It has more stuff that you know. Um, so it does feel kind of smaller. Um, not necessarily bad small, but smaller than it was. Less full of possibility. And so, you know, I could, I could understand why starting out in a new place is really exciting. Anytime I get that urge, you know, to to move or whatever, I just try to think about a, a new way to arrange the house and move the furniture or maybe just pick like one piece of furniture that I don't really like that's bothering me and replace it with something that's much more comfortable. Recently, I, I got this couch secondhand because I had this other couch and it was fine and it was free and it was like big and kind of like it's dark green, but it was not very comfortable for me. Like I'm a small person and it was a very deep couch made for like a really like maybe more people and bigger people than me. And so I wasn't really comfortable on that couch. And I, I found myself so frustrated with the stupid couch. And in the end, I decided I'm going to give away the couch. I got it for free anyway. Um, and I'm going to find something secondhand that I actually like. And it was like one of the best things that I've ever done, you know, but I'm, I'm learning to make changes more incrementally uh, to fit my space better, to enjoy my house better um, and not make these like, bigger, bolder, more impulsive moves like I used to do because I used to move all the time. When I, when I first met you, I think uh, during that period of like six years, I ended up moving to like eight different apartments, which included dorms and stuff. Like I was in a dorm and then the dorm didn't work out. So I moved to a different dorm and whatever, but still it was a lot of moves. And that's like emotionally very challenging. And since I was very, very, very small, I've moved to like I can't even tell you, I think hundreds of houses and apartments in dozens of cities, lots of schools, and all that change just meant that I never really felt rooted in any given place. Um, so like, for me, it's really important to fight the urge to move to a new place. I want to, I kind of feel like what you, you described, but I've also learned that psychologically, it's not worth it for me to keep doing that. For myself because also it's financially upheaval. it's also yeah it's expensive for sure but i also i also wonder like the whole uh wanting to start over fresh maybe you know you're still looking for a home that makes you feel like good and comfortable and safe and maybe it's okay to to recognize that you're excited by new things and new places and stimulating like your creativity because you have an empty or a nearly empty apartment, it's all new and you get to explore it and you get to like make it yours. That experience is super fun. Like I've always really enjoyed setting up a new place. I definitely had a lot of people make fun of me for like, wow, your house is like constantly going through shifting furniture changes and whatever. You must really yeah. be good at Texas. I also do that. <laughs> like if I'm tired of, of, of like every, every few months, so I write like the, the bed would go to a different location and the table would go to a different location. You know, it's like, I also do that. It's true. Um, I don't know. I mean, personally, I, I really enjoy it. And it's not only on the apartment level. It's also like, I remember I had, um, I had a talk with a boyfriend, like an ex-boyfriend. And, uh, and we saw like some, I don't know, some, uh, some musicians on tour, whatever, uh, on the TV. And I said, this is such a great life, you know? You just move around all the time. It's so fun. And he was like, yeah, but you don't have your place. Like, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like a, like a gypsy kind of way, right? But, uh, but it's really but being bad. comfortable with your own lifestyle. I don't know if it's bad. I mean, it, it, being comfortable with your own lifestyle, if it's not what everyone expects from you, but it is something that you can keep doing and not go, you know, not become like homeless, broke and whatever, dependent on someone else. If you can do this and do it comfortably, like safely, then you should do what makes you feel comfortable. If working 
and moving from city to city or place to place and starting over fairly constantly, you know, like, um, it's not just moving, right? It's also this kind of like changing and, and getting into the enjoyment of the novelty. If that's something you could really do for yourself, then maybe accepting that and being able to explore that or, or continue doing that for the rest of your life could be really rewarding for your sense of self, you know? But I also wonder, like, okay. From? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I actually was thinking about uh, two different things that you said. So like, I'm going to backtrack just like a tiny bit. You said like, um, you're not sure, I, I can't quote you. So without quoting you, something that, that's like, uh, you're not sure if, uh, if monogamy is for you or, um, or if the right thing is to have a long-term relationship with an, one individual person. Like it makes me wonder, do you ever consider like going further with that? Like for example, yeah, um, have. Uh, living with a community of people uh, and they all have like intermingling relationships or um, living with two other people and they're both your lovers, but maybe not always at the same time or whatever. No, there's just lots of different variations on, like, I'm not trying to embarrass you, so you don't have to answer this. No, I will answer. I, I'm actually like, uh, do you know um, the story of, uh, I think it was them, if I'm wrong, you probably can uh, can um, correct me. I think it was uh, Simone de Beauvoir and Paul Sartre. Uh, Sartre? Yeah. Sartre? They, they, they dated, no? They were together. Don't ask me. <laughs> Let's <laughs> check it right now. Uh, oh, okay. think... This is like celebs from a long time ago, but go ahead. I know, but uh, well, th we have um, a more recent example, Merav Michaeli and uh, her partner. Uh, what's his name? I'm yeah, the was, last person you would ask about, about was, celebrity, anything, like, especially not. Celebrity. And Simone de Beauvoir, okay? So, okay, so had, this is like, seems ideal to me, okay? <laughs> so they had like two separate apartments. All right, <laughs> and uh, but they they were together, okay. So um, in general, I am this kind of person who who loves uh, someone's company, right? But I also love my own space. I love hosting people. Um, I love giving my full attention to people. Uh, I hate having interruptions like I would I can actually be really rude on the phone if someone calls me like uh, I would screen the phone most of the time but but if someone calls me and I'm doing like uh, a deep conversation like I can be very like yes what you know like this because uh, because I can't do it I can't split the the attention I have to be present with the person I'm present with Okay, I have to give them my full attention. And, um, but I do need my own time to uh, rejuvenate and to bring that energy to myself. Okay, because I give a lot of energy to, to other people. And mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it answers your question, but wait well, there. <laughs> I did, I did have, uh, I told you about it, but we're going to tell it uh, here on a um, podcast because um, we're friends. So we, we talk and we, we know things about each other. So sorry, people. <laughs> it's not like, a, um, you know, we have to bring it out, right? So uh, um, I did have a boyfriend that, that, that I suggested to him that we, we go, uh, we open the relationship and we, and we, we will be uh, non-monogamous. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we should come up with some rules because um, this is like, uh, and, and the rules can change over time too. I'm not like fanatic about rules, you know, rules are made to be broken. So, so, um, uh, but yes, I have considered that uh, option um, more to but that's fix the situation because I felt that the, the, that the other side was 
was drawn to other women and uh, not that we had we didn't have any problem with our sexual life it was amazing okay mm -hmm. no problem at all there was a problem of, of a little bit of trust okay mm -hmm. so i said okay let's fix this problem with with uh, with instead of being jealous or being um scared that the person is going to go with another person we can fix yeah. this by allowing that in our relationship okay mm -hmm. or at least not right at least not forbidding something that um you felt might have been inevitable anyway yes and also and also it's like it's 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 um if it's a natural urge of someone right mm -hmm. i don't if i love this person i don't want to restrict them from their natural being you know yeah and also i think it's myself. really important though to like agree on things i as a person i really prefer to verbalize if we want to do something that isn't expected I had this conversation recently with someone who's studying in Barilan, um, like gender studies, second degree. And he said, there's a big difference between, uh, there's a differentiation that we don't uh, really talk about, which is uh, say culture uh, versus guest culture. And like after this conversation with him, I realized that I definitely strongly believe in say culture. I would much prefer to have an overt conversation where we openly and honestly discuss things that we want. And I don't care if it suits somebody else's uh, version of what needs to happen within the relationship or um, if it makes sense according to what the norms are of society. Society can expect whatever it wants, but this relationship is between the two of us, yeah. you know, or, or not just between the two of us, but that's kind of like being able to have those conversations is like, say, culture. Whereas a lot of people seem to seems like the, the majority of, uh, of the world works more according to guest culture. It's all these like hints and unspoken messages and we make a lot of assumptions about what people want and what they need and how things should be. And, uh, and then it's like reading between the lines, which can be um, potentially problematic. Yes, it's confusing. You're you're in uncertainty, and uncertainty is a horrible place. It's a horrible place, um, and we see that from the corona, for example. You know, it's a perfect example of how uncertainty is 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 causes anxiety. You know, it causes problems. It causes freaking domestic violence, which is something that I, I, I'm strongly like, you know, pissed about. And, uh, and yeah, it causes bad things. That's what it is. And, and, you know, maybe being able to be open about, you know, things like having an external affair, regardless of whatever type of relationship you have with the person takes away some of the sting or potential hurt, or just generally it doesn't, maybe that way it won't damage the relationship. I mean, that's definitely a possibility and it's worth talking about. It doesn't have to be what you ultimately choose, but it could be. And I, like, I wish we could all get to a level of just being more open about those types of things. I definitely have met over time um, adults who are in long-term, maybe even 20 years, relationships where they live separately, they are heteronormative, and you know they're in love but they don't feel the need to get married and they don't feel the need to move in together and they have a great relationship and some of what works well is that distance of having separate lives some of the time having their own space to to just chill and other people work it out where they have separate places to have their space you know um while they're you know living in a in a larger house you know this is my whatever you call it oh, heteronormative man cave right um, but I think we all kind of need to have some space in order to be able to reconnect and, and keep the relationship positive and fun and interesting and excited. And like you said, like maintaining the novelty. So like, you don't have to move in together in order to be committed to one another. You don't, the monogamy is not necessarily 
just because you've moved in together. And the moving in together doesn't necessarily require monogamy. I think one of the things I love most about the LGBT community is that in theory, you're talking about breaking down some of these assumptions and not holding on to some kind of a standard um, that just doesn't work. And instead, you're talking about um, looking at options that are normally not inside of the box, right? So you're like living outside of um, society's expectations, and then you're you're more capable of hopefully checking to see that many assumptions you make about yourself or about the other person actually um, work for you. And if not, maybe change those assumptions, you know, change your understanding based on what you actually want and not based on what you fear that the other person wants, you know? I wish that it could, it could be brought also to the heteronormative uh, society um maybe that wouldn't make them so normative but <laughs> but uh um i really wish it would come because i think this this society is very restricted and mm-hmm. it's very shamed you yeah. know like the 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 I am a person who has no problem with hitting on a guy, okay? And I would get shamed on that. Mm. I would. Like, it takes a lot to shame me because I'm like, you know, fuck You're better. <laughs> you know? Like, but, uh, but, but, um, there are people who, who, who managed to do that um, while I was in not a very good mental state, if, if I'm honest. But, uh, but in general, it takes a lot. And, but but uh, what I'm trying to say is that it, if, you, if you're not in, in the norm, if you, want to be, if you want to be in the say culture and not in the guest culture, you would actually get shamed by, by your friends. True. But and I think that being it, more genuine just is so much more worth it. Yes. Spend your love for who you are, not for who you might be able to pretend to be for a certain amount of time until you get tired of it and no longer can continue pretending to be someone else just to suit someone else. I mean, I feel like that's also why a lot of people have these like anxieties and, and they're like, sense of self is really attacked you know like a midlife crisis type thing because they realize one day they've been you know they wake up and they're like wow i'm not living the life that i want to live i'm not happy with the choice that i'm making you know so like it's okay to put both monogamy and non-monogamy on the table it's okay to to think about the fact that you don't necessarily want to move in together even if you have a fantastic relationship and you do want to stay together for 20 years but being able to say that you're together because you want to be together instead of you're together because that's what's expected. You're together because you decided to get married. You're together because you need each other, right? For financial stability, for emotional stability, for whatever. If we can move on to a place of choice, then our connecting to the other and connecting to ourselves, I think is going to be a much more successful, like, happy and open connection, which could keep things going over time. I mean, I'm gonna take a a slight side step for a second, but even the idea of um, recognizing and understanding the logic within Jewish culture of Nida, which is, you know, that a woman can't be touched for about, I don't know what, half the month um, when she's on her period and close to her period creates a certain amount of distance from within a home where you um, would be living together and spending time together. But that distance, that like forbidden element of touch can also be extremely exciting. Um, so that you know, when you are able to spend time together because so came back from a musical tour or whatever, then suddenly it's like, wow, oh my God, I've missed you. You know, you're so fantastic and I've missed your smell and I've missed your soft skin. And like all of that is just 
so much more powerful and heady because because of that distance and that separation of living in two different places or of having slightly more separated lives means that when you do find the time to come together, you're coming together in a way that is just so much more powerful and it like maintains the excitement and the novelty. Hey y'all, this conversation is not over yet. This is just part one. We kept on exploring the deep meaning of love, relationships, and self-identity. And to question the narratives that are being fed to us and imposed on us. If you like this one, you'll love part two. Especially with our special matriarchy questions at the end. See you all on the next episode.